If you don't mind, I'd like to play a game with you this morning, all right? Uh, you guys going to play? You don't even know what I'm asking you to do. You said yes, all right? So here's what I'm asking you to do. On the count of three, I, mean, I haven't said three yet. On the count of three, I'm going to ask you to close your eyes. Now, uh, I, don't worry. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. I'm not going to ask you to stand up. I'm not going to ask you to tell something to somebody around you and see if it makes it around the room. All right, nothing crazy like that. I, I just want to, uh, there's no hypnosis going to take place either, all right? So I'm just going to ask you to close your eyes. And while your eyes are closed, I'm going to ask you a question. So on the count of three, one, two, three. Close your eyes. In your eyes, in your brain right now, I want you to answer this question. What does Jesus look like to you? What does Jesus look like to you? Give you 10 seconds for your brain to sort through it all. All right, eyes open. I got to tell you my image. And my image of Jesus uh, was cast for me in my home church in Charlotte, North Carolina. Now, uh, I grew up in Charlotte. I went to the same church all my life. I don't know whether this was in a hallway or a classroom, but let me give you the image that I have of Jesus, all right? It was a framed picture of Jesus. It was supposed, it was kind of fancy, you know, a little frame around it. It was metal, made to look like it was gold. It was not gold, all right? Uh, it was hanging somewhere on the church property. There may have been multiple images depicting Jesus, but in my picture, in my brain, right, wrong, or indifferent, when I close my eyes, Jesus has long, brown, flowing hair, right? I don't know about yours, this is mine. And he's got perfect complexion, a perfectly trimmed beard, which is pretty amazing for 2,000 years ago. Perfectly trimmed beard. And for whatever reason, because I'm sure this was a prevalent trait of Jewish people 2,000 years ago, he had blue eyes. Uh, I don't know if your Jesus had blue eyes. Chances are he didn't have blue eyes. But my picture in my mind is that framed piece of artwork somewhere in my home church. My guess is it's still hanging up there, all right? And he's still got the brown hair. He's still got the look. And, and so I ask you, maybe you have some ideas of what Jesus looks like. There's a couple on the screen this morning um, for you to kind of think through. Because I got a little carried away. I got to be honest with you. I got a little carried away thinking about Jesus and what he looked like and what would take place. And and as I did that, I found that there were pictures of Jesus that were people saw him in a puddle, um, on a flash of lightning, in a piece of bread, right? Uh, a night sky, uh, in the cloud, all these different images. But the reality is the vast majority of us have some type of background of what Jesus visually looks like to us. Even if you didn't grow up going to church, you have heard someone. You've seen an image of Jesus on a t-shirt. You've seen an image of Jesus on a candle. Uh, you've seen some strange online reference or what might look like a picture of Jesus according to somebody that you know. If you don't have any church background, maybe this is a new thought for you, but I think everybody in the room, 99% of us in this room have an image of what we think Jesus looks like. But today I want to ask you, with your eyes open, you don't have to close your eyes, I want to ask you a harder question, a more personal question. A much more important question. Who is Jesus to you? Who is Jesus to you? You don't have to lean to your neighbor and share your answer. Uh, you don't have to talk about it this morning. Uh, you don't have to post about it. You don't have to do anything about it. But who is Jesus to you? Not an image. Not a screenshot. 
but to you personally, spiritually, and emotionally. Whether you came in here this morning and you come every year at Christmas weekend to Rich Fork, or whether you come every week to Rich Fork, or whether you've never been to Rich Fork, that's not what I'm asking you. I'm asking you in your mind, in your heart, who is Jesus to you? I didn't ask you, what does church look like? I didn't ask you what a Christian looks like. I didn't ask you what Christmas songs you like. I didn't ask you what carols you like. I didn't ask you what version that you read of Scripture, of the Bible that you read. I ask you, who is Jesus to you? Not to your spouse, not to your neighbor, not to your ex-spouse, whatever it is. I'm asking you to examine this for you. Who is Jesus to you? I want to revisit that question towards the end of our time together. But I want to take you to a familiar passage of Scripture found in Luke chapter 2. In Luke chapter 2, we have the story of the birth of Jesus. Now, Luke is written by a gentleman by the name of, anybody want to guess? Good job, all right? The kids who are willing to take that step of faith, all right? Luke, he was a doctor. He was obsessed with details. He was a doctor. He wanted to make sure that he had things recorded correctly. Each of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, give us the account of moments of Jesus' life. They zoom in on certain moments. Some of them include the birth of Jesus. Some of them don't. Some include the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus. Some of them have more detailed uh, accounts of those things. But Luke is one that gives us an account of the birth of Jesus. It's a familiar passage, but Luke does something at the beginning. You can go back and look at this later. In Luke chapter 1, verse 1 through 4, Luke says, I'm telling you the truth. I am willing to go online to say I'm an eyewitness account. What I have seen, what I'm sharing is factual. If you watch courtroom TV, uh, all of us watch some kind of show that has somebody that's standing trial for something, and they ask them, do you promise to tell the truth? And it used to sound like this. Yes, I'll tell the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth, so help me God. Luke is saying at the beginning of Luke chapter 1, I promise you this is what I have collected. These details are true. They are historical, they are factual, they are for me to share. And so then in Luke chapter 2, he gives us his account of all the details that he's put together of the birth of Jesus. And he says this, In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was the house and the lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And they were there, And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Now, by the beginning of this passage, by starting in Luke 2, we don't have some of the details that Luke 1 gives us, which gives us some background Uh, We don't have the story of the account of Matthew 1 and Luke 1 that tell us that an angel came to Mary and Joseph and shared with them of the pregnancy and who Jesus was carrying. We don't have the journey that Mary takes to share the news with one of her family members in Luke chapter 1. What we do have is a, a lot of history 
that's happening just in those verses. It tells us who the political rulers were, so it gives us a time frame historically. It gives us what was, act, what was called upon from them, and here's what they were saying. The Roman government said, we would like to tax you, Jewish folks. So in order to tax you, you've got to go back to your hometown, to where you were from. You've got to register. You've got to make sure that you fill out the correct paperwork, which we would understand. You go back home. You fill out the tax forms. And on your way back home, there's going to be some Roman guards. They're going to tax you. And so you're going to have to make your journey back to your hometown, an unsafe time of the world, a very tense season of the world between the Romans, the Jewish people, a lot of tension, a lot of difficulties. And Mary and Joseph called to be those who would bring Jesus to the world. Mary is called and says, you, Joseph is called, you've got to go back home. And so in the middle of all this political unrest, of the Roman world forcing themselves with their taxation upon everybody, Mary and Joseph make their way back home to his home place, to Bethlehem. Many people, and doing some research for this, many people that traveled during this time, if they could afford it, they would hire somebody to take them on this journey. Because of robberies, because of theft, because of the difficulty of the journey, they would hire somebody to guide them back, to keep them safe. Mary and Joseph didn't have that luxury. It was a difficult journey, whether you walked it, whether you rode it upon a donkey. They had nothing to offer. They had no place to lay their head. They had no reservations. Their circumstances were dire. And they had been told, you are going to bring the Savior of the world into this place. The angel had already announced to both of them, he will be great and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And as we explained last Sunday, if you want to go back and listen, this baby Jesus was over all creation, is all creation, was before all creation. He has no beginning. He has no end. He is the first and the last. He's the healer who would become a teacher. He would perform miracles. He would become a savior. He would become a sacrifice that we celebrated already today. Verse 7, very familiar to us. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the end. This is Jesus. This is his humble beginnings of flesh, his humble beginnings on earth. Who is Jesus to you? Let's see who he was to a group of people, the shepherds, all right? Uh, the last song we sang, sang about that and the, that group of people, and in the same region there were shepherds out in the flock by night, out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. There you have it. The first group of people that were going to get this message were the shepherds. Now, the shepherds, if they existed in 2018, they did not have a large social media following. They didn't have a blue check beside their name on Instagram, all right? Uh, These guys had no impact on culture whatsoever except to take care of the sheep. And here they are out in the field, and an angel comes to them. Now, I don't know what version of angel you think about, but again, not to ask you to close your eyes and think about it, but, but... Precious moments. Anybody know what precious moments are? Anybody raise your hand? Raise your hand if you know what precious moments are. All right. Everybody under 30 just kept your hands down, all right? Precious moments. Here's how they depict an angel. Oh, isn't she cute? Oh, so tender, all right? That's not an angel, all right? Um, in, in the Old Testament and the New Testament, angels are depicted in such a way that when they showed up, everybody got their attention. She's not grabbing my attention, all right? And an angel shows up, makes an announcement to them out in the field, and then a multitude of angels show up to them and share with them. 
And it said, And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were fear filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those of whom he is pleased. When the angels went away, From them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby was lying in a manger. Now, here's proof that these guys were not Baptist, all right? It says that they moved in haste. Okay, they did not have to have a church vote. They didn't have to have a committee meeting with quorum or majority and then decide, okay, how are we going to go about doing this? They said, no, the angel came to us, let's go. And so they took off in haste. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. So they pour out this information to Mary and Joseph. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. Jesus was worthy in this moment. He was worthy to be shared with others by the shepherds. Now, again, they don't have a lot of clout. They don't have a lot of significance to be able to sway people. But imagine these guys coming in off the fields, walking into a crowded season because of all these people who would return to their hometowns, and they walk into town. They're going, guys, you, you got it. Listen, we were out watching the flocks by night, and some angels came to us and told us to come to town. Sure they did. What you been doing out there in that field last night? No, I'm telling you. And they go and they find things exactly as have been told. And they can't stop sharing. They can't stop talking about Jesus. But Mary, verse 19, treasured up all these things, pondering them in their heart, and the shepherds returned. They're going back to work, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Jesus was worthy to be celebrated by the shepherds. The shepherds were full of wonder, Scripture says. Their lives would never be the same. I don't know if you thought about this. Again, I, I kind of have some random thoughts when I read through, and I'm following this narrative, and I'm reading. Can you imagine the next night in the fields? If, if I'm the shepherd, the next night in the field, I'm sitting there going, Did you see anything? No, I didn't see anything yet. You think he's going to come back? I don't know. And for the rest of their lives, they had one of those stories, didn't they? You know one of those stories that happens in your life that when you sit around a fire or you sit around talking with someone, you share something about your life, that story comes out? This is their story, right? They would forever sit around the fire with future generations of shepherds, with shepherds and shepherds and shepherds, and those shepherds would share with the other shepherds. Did you hear what happened to Joe, uh, you know, 100 years ago in this field at night? The angel appeared to him. You don't stop sharing this news because it says they glorified, they praised, they worshiped. They left their lives would never be the same. And they glorified and they praised God. Now you have glorified and praised something probably this week. I hope it's the Lord. 
If you've been to a sporting event and you've cheered and you've said, man, that was a great play, that's called praising. If you've told someone, you said, hey, I ate at this restaurant, it was the best food I've ever eaten in my life, that's praise towards that restaurant. You have given praise. And the shepherd said, listen, we have seen this thing and we are glorifying, we are praising, we are going back to work. Our lives will never be the change, the same. What a night. What a night for these shepherds. But there's another group that's recorded in another gospel, the gospel of Matthew. By the name, he writes this in Matthew, it's recounted the story, not of the shepherds, but of the wise men, the magi, as some would call them. The we three kings of Orient are, right? Listen to what Scripture says about this group that came to Jesus. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. The narrative keeps on going, and Herod, the king, over in leadership of that region of the world, a very evil king, he decides that he wants to pretend to try to push to the wise men that he wants to meet Jesus. That's not the truth. He has evil purposes. And in verse 9, we read these words. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that had been seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Jesus was worthy of worship and surrender by the wise men. Jesus was worthy by the wise men. Now, again, if you can, go with me. Go with me to the poor town of Nazareth, a trade-type town, a small town, a Jewish town, not a thriving metropolis, not lots of money existing in this town, but everybody had a trade, everybody bartered, everybody shared. And here, some of the wealthiest people of this time period, the wise men, we don't know exactly where they came from, but they had enough funding, all right? They did a GoFundMe. They had enough funding to come all the way to this region of the world to find themselves to walk into this poor Nazarene town. Now just imagine it. Jesus and Joseph are there and Jesus, by most accounts, is a toddler at this age, and he's walking around the house, and Mary's trying to keep up with him, and Joseph is out in the shop, and who's there? You'll never guess. And they open the door, and they see Jesus, and they drop to their face. That's the wording here. They drop to their face in front of a toddler. Because they knew this was the one. And then they give him gifts. Now these gifts are of great significance because they represent that they're surrendering. They're surrendering the things that are important to them, the things that are significant to them, the things that are expensive to them. They surrender to Mary, Joseph, and to Jesus. 
They surrender to him the, the frankincense, the, the gold, the myrrh. Gold was a gift of majesty, frankincense and incense of great cost that would have been used in the temple by the high priest on sacrifices. Myrrh was a spice that would be used in the passing of someone, but it was also used for medicinal purposes. And so they bring these gifts, expensive gifts, and they place them before Jesus. They knew upon meeting Jesus. Don't let that go too quickly today. They didn't ask ten questions. They didn't ask for a history of how they got there. They didn't ask for verification. Are you sure this is the right place? Scripture says, Luke says, guys, I will swear to you, this is how this happened. Matthew says, guys, I promise you, this is how this happened. When they arrived, they surrendered. They knew upon meeting Jesus, he was the one. They surrendered to Jesus. Jesus After thousands of miles of journey, they knew he was it. We could go on and on and on in the Gospels and tell you who Jesus is. Let me just share a few of those moments. Who is Jesus in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? Who is this Jesus that we celebrate at Christmas? Jesus, he was the giver of life to a crippled man in John chapter 9, John chapter 5. He was a source of renewal and hope to numerous lepers in his coming and going. Jesus gave meaning to a woman in Luke chapter 8 who had been bleeding for 12 years and he spoke and called her daughter and he gave her hope. Jesus was the one who confronted and comforted the woman at the well of her sin in John chapter 4. Jesus was the master to his disciples Worthy to be followed in 1 John chapter 1 through 4. Jesus was the one who also, in the middle of all of his miracles, in the middle of all his teachings, he confronted the religious establishment of their motives and the condition of their house and of their, of their ways of life. Jesus was no coward. Jesus was a dinner guest to sinners. Jesus was a teacher, a miracle worker, wrongfully accused, sentenced to death by crucifixion. Jesus was a man taken off a cross, placed into a tomb. Jesus is a Savior who three days later, three days later, was raised from the dead, re-entered. This is so important. Jesus re-entered the lives of hundreds of people, which gave validity to the story, which gave validity to, to the accounts of Luke, gave validity to the gospel writers, to John. But that's who Jesus was to those folks. The question I want to ask you is not who Jesus was to the Magi, who Jesus was to the shepherds, who Jesus was to the leper, who Jesus was to the woman at the well. What I want to ask you, and I want you to wrestle with this this next week of Christmas coming, who is Jesus to you? Who is he? Jesus says of himself, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Jesus declares himself as eternal life. He says, I'm not a way, I'm not a truth, I'm not a path. I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father. And can I just encourage you, if you're skeptical of my words, that's a quote directly from Jesus. Dig into Jesus. 
Dig into his words, not my words. This is not a special 2018 Christmas version of the Gospels, and I've twisted it to say what I wanted to say. No, these are words directly from Jesus who says, hey, I'll tell you who I am. I am your way. I am your truth. I am eternal life. Who is Jesus to you? Every single one of us must answer that question. This Christmas, who is Jesus to you? What's interesting, I tried it this last two weeks. I go out to lunch. I like sometimes go out to lunch by myself. I'm weird like that. Uh, I've asked twice at lunches to random folks, who is Jesus to you? It's amazing the conversation that takes place. I didn't ask them where they go to church. I didn't ask them what they think of church, what they think of preachers. Definitely didn't go there. I didn't ask them what songs they like, what Christmas hymns they like. I just say, hey, by the way, can you just answer this, who's Jesus to you? Conversation. Because in the answer to that question, you find eternity with Christ or eternity without. In the answer to that question, you find hope with Jesus or hopelessness apart from Jesus. In the answer to that question, you find peace in Jesus or a continued restlessness searching and looking for the way, the truth. In the answer to that question, you find truth in who Jesus claims he is or doubt and confusion The reality is, in our two passages today, in Luke chapter 2 and Matthew chapter 1, that Jesus led the shepherds to worship, and he is still worthy of your worship today. Scripture tells us that the wise men, they came in Matthew Matthew chapter 1, and they worshiped him, and they surrendered to him. The moment they saw him, Jesus, they knew, was the Savior. They knew it as promised, as foretold. They knew they were in front of Jesus. And Jesus is worthy of you trusting him. Listen this morning. He is worthy of you trusting in him to forgive you, to change you, to realign your life. He is worthy to be worshiped by you. Not because of anything that you have done, but because what Jesus went on to do on the cross. But you have to answer the question, not me. I can't answer it for you. I'll answer it for myself. Who is Jesus to you? He is there to forgive you. He is there to be your hope. He is there to forgive you. He is there to love you. He is there to have a relationship with you. And he is worthy of your worship and surrender. But you have to answer the question. Who is Jesus to you? Let's pray.